Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came by and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And while the whole city was gathered around the door, he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Mark's gospel can sometimes seem a little bit rough around the edges. He really wastes no time in telling his story. Mark's sense of urgency comes through as he writes. In the first chapter alone, we've already found Mark's favorite word immediately 12 times. There is so much activity packed into this first chapter that it's hard to remember that most of these events happened on the same day. We get the impression that the people who were following Jesus had a hard time keeping up as well. And so here is what has happened so far. Uh, and remembering we are still in chapter one. After his baptism and 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus heads to Galilee where he calls four fishermen to follow him. They leave behind their boats and nets. Then they go to Capernaum, a small fishing village where these four apparently lived. On the Sabbath, Jesus goes to the synagogue and teaches with unusual authority. A demon-possessed man stands up in the middle of the synagogue and challenges him and names him as the Holy One of God or the Messiah. But Jesus silences the unclean spirit and tells it to leave the man, and it obeys immediately. That brings us to today's passage. It's still the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples have just left the synagogue. And there are four distinct scenes that occur over the next few hours. The story continues by going to Simon's house, possibly because it was closest to the synagogue or it had the most room for guests. However they decided on Simon's home, we learned something about him that we didn't know before. He has a family to support, and his wife's mother is sick with a fever. Simon tells Jesus this immediately, and maybe he's hoping that this Jesus, who has just shown authority over an unclean spirit, may also have the authority to drive out a fever. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't say a word. He only puts out his hand and takes the hand of Simon's mother-in-law, and the fever is gone. As Jesus brings her to her feet, the verb is the same one that Mark will use in chapter 16 to describe Jesus' own resurrection. He lifts her up. The mother-in-law's response to the miraculous he healing is also immediate. 
she gets busy serving. In essence, Simon's mother-in-law becomes Jesus' first deacon, reminding us that Jesus saw himself as a servant as well. Later in his ministry, Jesus will tell his disciples, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to become first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man cannot be served but to serve. And so then we move into scene two, because you can't just keep a secret in a small town like Capernaum. By now, everyone knows what happened in the synagogue, and probably many people will have already heard that Simon's mother-in-law is no longer sick. As soon as Sabbath ends, a stream of people make their way to Simon's door asking for healing, asking for Jesus to do on a large scale what they've already seen him do. And there is a difference between the healing and the exorcism. Mark maintains this distinction as you listen to the healing stories. Jesus speaks his words to expel an unclean spirit, but he heals through the power of touch. As we talked about last week with the unclean spirits, we talk about the spiritual forces of wickedness, oppression, warring, madness. We speak about those things that create in us an unclean spirit, and we need to speak against them. We use our voices to speak out in places where those unclean spirits of hatred and fear have taken over. But human touch in scripture is that particular level of intimate relationship. God created us to be close to God. Jesus became human to make God's love real and tangible, to make God touchable. And this is, as P.C. Ennis puts it, what makes it all the more demanding, if frightening, to realize that for some people, We are the only Jesus they will ever meet. God not only calls us into service through his son, God calls us into community with those who long for that connection we all crave, to that nearness to God. The story continues as Jesus goes off to be alone in prayer, and he does this only three times in Mark's gospel. Luke describes many instances of Jesus seeking solitude, but in Mark, we only read about Jesus going off alone to pray here after he has fed the 5,000, and finally in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he is betrayed. These are pivotal moments in Mark's story, and they all share one common element, and that is the peace of darkness. Darkness and wilderness are clearly closely linked in Mark's gospel. Jesus goes off to some deserted location, reminding us of his time in the desert at the beginning of his ministry, when he was tempted. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus will send his disciples off in a boat so he can spend the night in prayer. And in a lonely garden, Jesus will pray, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The darkness of Christ's time and solitude are those places where he can question God, where he can face fear, where he can commune and receive answers. 
Because even Jesus is struggling to find his purpose at the beginning of his ministry. But he knows to go into prayer when he feels like his attention might not be divided. He knows that God knows his heart. And so he sets aside time to be alone with God in the darkness, to seek God's will in this extended time of prayer. Now, being alone in the dark wilderness wasn't necessarily the safest place in the first century. There were no street lamps to light the way, no motion-activated floodlights to scare off wild animals. There were no cell phones to notify others if something went wrong. For Jesus, though, it was the only place he could talk one-on-one with his creator without interruption. But of course, he can never actually have a conversation without interruption because the story moves on and Simon and his companions find Jesus. They say to him, everyone is searching for you. And maybe Simon and his friends hoped that Jesus would just keep on doing what he had done so far healing and driving out demons, meeting whatever needs were presented to him. As a plan, it's working pretty well. Fishing for people is pretty easy if all you have to do is control the crowds that are coming to see Jesus perform miracles. But then Jesus says, let's go to the neighboring town so I can preach there too. That is my purpose. This created a moment of decision for the disciples And there would be many more like it. Each time they would have to decide, do we keep following? That is the choice that we all face each day. Jesus says the same thing to us that he preaches in Capernaum. To repent, turn from your old ways and believe that the kingdom of God is here now. Be changed, be transformed, find your purpose and decide to live it. Jesus knew that his purpose wasn't just to become a local healer, but to reach out to as many people as possible with the good news of God's love. Jesus never went out looking for people to heal. It wasn't his primary mission. People came to him seeking his healing touch, asking for his help, and he had compassion. Some of them did believe. Some of them did repent and follow Jesus, and their lives were changed forever. Some of them did not, and they were still loved, and they were still transformed. We know that we have that opportunity to have transformation. We also know that we learn, as the disciples did, that we cannot be a true follower of Jesus by sitting in the comfort of our own homes, that we have to get up and join with others in the work of the kingdom because for some people, we are the only Jesus they will ever meet. And so how do we find that purpose? We have to be intentional about our choices sometimes. Find those dark wilderness places to get close to God in prayer, to meet God and face our fears, to listen, to take time to understand. The disciples probably would have preferred for Jesus to stay in Capernaum, healing from their home base. Simon's wife might have preferred that he stay. 
We don't get her perspective on all of this. But Jesus led them out of their own dark wilderness into this unknown territory of introducing others to the kingdom of God. And so we want to get out of our noisy and bright lives to find some time for that reflection. And then we focus. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus, the disciples said. Everyone wanted a piece of what Jesus was doing, but he knew he could not be distracted from his primary purpose by spending all of his time and energy. It was a good and worthy work that he was doing, but he had a bigger message and a bigger purpose. And so he needed to focus on his calling, even if it meant disappointing the people in Capernaum. Uh, the author, Carrie Newhoff, notes that people don't generally come knocking on your door to help you achieve your purpose. Most people aren't too interested in helping you complete your top priority. They're going to ask you to complete theirs. And that doesn't mean that their top priority is a bad one. It doesn't mean that the work that they are asking you to do isn't worthy or isn't the work of God, but it means it is not your purpose. The disciples saw all of the people in Capernaum who were being healed. And they never stopped to consider what Jesus' priority might be. And finally, and it's a practical thing, but one I think is important for a community like ours that reaches out in so many ways, and that's to start small. Notice how Mark frames the story. Jesus performs a single exorcism in the synagogue, and then he performs a single act of healing in his friend's home. Then slowly more people start to come the private home becomes a public space as Jesus heals and casts out unclean spirits for many who come to Simon's door. Whatever you realize your purpose is, you don't have to conquer all of it on your very first day. This is something people say to me on a fairly regular basis because I am not always the best at remembering that. I become convinced that I alone have to solve the affordable housing crisis in Idaho as if that is possible, as if I am the only one doing the work, which I am very clear I am not. I know what my purpose is, but it is a good reminder to me that I can start small, that each life change matters, and then we can scale up over time. When we start small, we give ourselves a chance to develop our gifts and refine our understanding of that purpose. And so as we come together at the table today, it's a perfect time to ask God to show you your purpose. It's a wonderful time to recommit yourself to focusing on what God wants more than what others are clamoring for. Jesus offers to help us silence those demons that keep trying to prevent us from living out our purpose. And Christ encourages us to start, to start small with the one person he puts in front of us each day who needs to know Jesus. Because for that person, 
You may be the only Jesus they will ever meet. Amen. My friends, as we prepare to invite